Hey everybody, welcome back. It's Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less. I'm Lisa Linky, and sitting out there in the big world <laughs> is my dear friend, Misty Stinnett. Hello, welcome. We are still, it is just a timestamp for you. It's June 24th. We are still in safer at home here in California, although things are starting to open up, but Misty and I are pretty conservative where that goes. Um, so we're staying home as much as we can. And, um, if you're finding us currently, uh, or if you're finding us 10 years down the road, tell us what happens, uh, cause we're dying to know what the future looks like. Anyway, Go Help Yourself is a weekly podcast. We come here having freshly read self-help books of variety genres, myriad genres, and we tell you the highs, the lows, the tips, the tricks, the ins, the outs, all the good stuff in under an hour, but we can't cover everything in an hour, but you will get some main points and also a healthy dose of information as to whether or not this is a book you want to buy and support the author, or if you want to leave it alone <laughs> Goodbye. and uh, light it on fire if it ever comes in your um, hemisphere. Thank you. We cuss. We uh, are just gorgeous creatures uh sitting in our <laughs> respective living rooms i'm in a bralette because it's hot and misty is in the dark uh, hiding from a super spreader event outside her house oh my god my neighbors have decided to have they have like a 20 person gathering in their backyard and there's elderly people and young people and no one's wearing masks and it's like it's a one-year-old's birthday party, and it makes me go like, oh, at least it's for the important things that the kid will remember. Exactly. That child will remember this as the last time their whole family was gathered together. <laughs> Sorry. No. Nope. Nope. I'm very angry. I am very <laughs> angry at the state of things. Um, as I. I think I covered everything. Uh, you nailed it. That intro was the most flawless intro we've ever had on the podcast. That's a lie. Absolutely astounding. You. I love you as well. Misty, what do you got? I am so excited to bring you the behemoth New York Times bestseller, So You Want to Talk About Race by Ijeoma Oluo. Yes, yes. When I went to purchase this book, I could not get a hard copy because it is so sold out everywhere in light of the recent events around all of the protests that came after George Floyd's death a few weeks ago. It just seems like the whole country as a whole is waking up and wanting to have these mm -hmm. conversations and really understand what's going on in a way mm -hmm. that I have not seen mobilized in my lifetime. Yeah, the tops, the bestsellers list is like, the nonfiction bestsellers like is, list is like an anti-racist dream. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, and, I'm sad that it took so long to get here. I also know that we have had moments in history where we have felt mobilized and activated as a human group as a whole, but we've never had the internet before, <laughs> you know, sure. during one of those times. And social so, media. Exactly. So I'm really excited to see what comes out of that. And it's why I'm so excited to cover this book. And for those of you uh, joining us, maybe this is your first episode with us. Just know that we have also covered White Fragility on a recent episode. Mm -hmm. We've covered I'm Judging You by Lovey Ajayi, mm -hmm. even Untamed by Glennon Doyle, who's a, a white female author, also covers topics of uh, race and intersectionality. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um but I am so excited to bring this to you today. So very quickly, the hardcover is $53.98 because it's so I'm here in demand for right now. And it is that kind of book, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> the paper, our longtime lawyer listeners will love that. Our longtime lawyer listeners. Thank is that you. what I said? It's the end of a day. It's just a bunch of lawyers and us. We're huge in the legal community. We're huge, huge, because everything is wildly accurate and, and very serious. And they have no time for self-help, so this is perfect for them. 
Yep, there you go. Paperback is ten forty one. The Kindle's eight ninety nine. The audiobook is fourteen ninety five or one credit. And on the Overdrive app, it's free, but like a million year waitlist. So good fucking sure. luck. Oh, we cuss. This is an adult podcast. Yeah, self help is hardcore. Lisa, if you said that in the intro, I missed it. But you probably said it. Who can care? Who, Who can, can fucking care? I was too busy while Lisa was doing that fabulous intro. I was like dragging my coffee table behind me to try and make it more soundproof in here. So, you know, here we go. I like what you've done. So about Ijioma, and this is from her website, ijiomaoluo.com. And I will put that in show notes if you would like to visit it. Ijioma Oluo is a Seattle-based writer, speaker, and internet yeller. She's the author of the New York Times bestseller, So You Want to Talk About Race, published in January of 2018 by Seal Press. Named one of The Root's 100 Most Influential African Americans in 2017, one of the most influential people in Seattle by Seattle Magazine, one of the 50 most influential women in Seattle by Seattle Met, and winner of the 2018 Feminist Humanist Award by the American Humanist Society. So she's a nobody. She's a nobody and she influences no one. Aluo's <laughs> work focuses primarily on issues of race and identity, feminism, social and mental health, social justice, the arts, and personal essay. Her writing has been featured in the Washington Post, NBC News, Elle Magazine, Time, The Stranger, and The Guardian, among other outlets. Okay. She is just amazing. So she's done nothing. She's a nobody. Nobody listens to her. Great. I got it. And she hasn't sold a copy except to me. (laughs) So that's why you can't get it. One paperback book for $4,000. Hard copy. Yeah. Five... (laughs) 59 million hundred. So (laughs) it's it's 272 pages. And Mm -hmm. you know, I read the audio book, which is you're going to love it. Seven hours and 42 minutes. So it's not bad. Misty, you were in heaven. It's narrated by a woman named Bonnie Turpin, and she is fantastic. And my first impression was that it was actually really funny in some parts. Okay. It's, she has this story. So her mother is a white woman. She's biracial, but obviously the author phenotypes as a black woman. And it's, it's so funny when she talks about this conversation she and her mother had about race because her mom is like, Oh, let me tell you what I said at work today. And the whole time she's dying and she's just saying like, okay, please let's talk about the time I lost my virginity. Let's talk about my period. Let's talk about anything but this. Right. Okay. And so just to use a really cool word just a minute ago. So um, phenotype is different than identify. Mm. Correct. Scientific terms. So genotype is Damn, truly outrageous, truly, truly, truly outrageous. Oh, we both went down. <laughs> we always both go down. Here, I'll go up. Stamp. Okay. Okay. It's truly okay. outrageous. No, no, no. <laughs> truly oh, you were going up that time. Yep, that's fine. You know what? We'll fix it in We post. did keep it. Going. Everyone loves it. This is what the lawyers keep coming back for. So yeah. uh, here are the chapters so that you know what this unbelievably comprehensive and wonderful book covers. The introduction. So you want to talk about race. Chapter one. Is it really about race? Chapter two. What is racism? Chapter three. What if I talk about race wrong? Chapter four. Why am I always being told to check my privilege? Five. What is intersectionality and why do I need it? Six. Is police brutality really about race? Seven, how can I talk about affirmative action? Eight, what is the school to prison pipeline? Nine, why can't I say the N-word? Ten, what? (laughs) Oh, no. Ten, what is cultural appropriation? Eleven, why can't I touch your hair? Twelve, what are microaggressions? Thirteen, why are our students so angry? Fourteen, what is the model minority myth? 15. But what if I hate Al Sharpton? 16. Thank you. Thank you. 16. I just got called racist. What do I do now? 17. Talking is great, but what else can I do? So. Oh my God, this is so comprehensive. 
It is really, let me tell you that it demystified so many things that I'd heard and kind of thought I knew or felt like I should know better. And it really answered every single question that I've been wondering about. And I'm not saying that one book on race can possibly comprehend all You're the cured. nuances of it. <laughs> I'm cured. Um, but what this does do is really gives you such a solid foundation. E- you know, even if, if you're still feeling, uh, nervous to dive in or you're still yeah. in learning an unlearning phase, this I think is just going to help so many people feel educated and confident about That's what's amazing. going on. And it's so easily digestible. Oh, good. I do just want to say before we dive in, just to be clear, phenotype is about like the identifying characteristics, but identification is different. Oh, I'm so sorry. We got sidetracked with STEM and singing. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm here to bring us back. Thank you so much uh, for Thank your you. brilliance Thank and you. your focus. So genotype is what actual genes you have, right? If you uh, took a test, you could see like, okay, I have one gene from my mom for green eyes and one gene from my dad for brown eyes. And then phenotype is how that is physically expressed on your person. So my, this is a literal example for me. My mom has green eyes. My dad has brown eyes. But on my genome, the brown eyes are more dominant, which is why even though I technically have genes for both, my phenotype, what it looks to the world is that I have brown eyes, right? So yeah, yeah so this can be really interesting. Uh, and this is not in the book at all, but you know, people experience more privilege if they phenotype as a lighter skin color, or sometimes people can feel yeah, like Yeah, well, that's what I was saying. If you um, phenotype, she's biracial, but Mm -hmm. so biracial people often identify like they might say, oh, I'm black. My mother is black. My dad is white, but I identify as black, perhaps, Mm -hmm. which is so I was just saying identification, identifying is different than phenotype. Yeah, yeah, correct. So this book is amazing and so comprehensive. So I am going to mainly focus on the actual how-tos of how to have these conversations around race, because I feel like that is sort of the limiting factor. If we can't start talking about this, we can't even dive into any of the rest of it. Yeah, that makes sense. But I do feel like anyone who reads this book, whether you are a person of color, whether you are a white person, however you identify, this is going to give you such a solid foundation to feel confident in having these conversations and to know where the potential pitfalls or missteps could be and how to handle those. So this is That's great. amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Cause I remember, you know, when we covered Amanda Seals, small doses, she talked about that stuff, but it was small doses. It was literally very short, either essays or just paragraphs about things. Um, so right. it will be nice to get like in more in depth. Yes. And I uh, am going to cover as much as I can in this one podcast episode, mm-hmm. but absolutely buy this book or gift it to somebody, or even if you never read it, but you want to support the author, buy a copy, buy a Kindle mm-hmm. copy. You won't mm-hmm. waste anything. No paper will be sent. You'll get it right away. So we're going to start with chapter one. Is it really about race? I'm going to say yes. <laughs> That is correct. Okay, <laughs> so, chapter two. Just kidding. Okay, okay, chapter two. How to talk about race. <laughs> Hope you're well. And then that's the end of the episode. May. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we know that race is a social construct. It has no bearing in science. It was a lie to justify the crime of enslaving people by deeming them less human. Mm -hmm. So this is something we know from history. We have records of it. We can trace it back. We can even name some of the prominent people who set this up. Mm -hmm. So race as we know it in the U.S. is also closely intertwined with our economic system. And many people will try to interchange the ideas of class with race. 
For Mm. example, a lot of people might say it's more about poor people or how hard someone works than it is about the color of their skin. Because we like to think of America as a meritocracy. Yeah, that anybody can achieve whatever they want as long as they work hard. Yeah, that is the American dream that was sold to us. And if you're white and male and cisgender, chances Mm -hmm. are that's mostly true. Mm -hmm. But it's not true for everyone. So when they talk about racial justice or how to move forward or how to make things better, a lot of people like to focus on class issues rather than race issues in order to address inequities. Things like raising the minimum wage and strengthening unions, which are good things. Mm -hmm. But these two concepts aren't interchangeable because black people are not poor for the same reasons white people are. If you have a, quote, black sounding name, she says, you're Mm -hmm. less likely to even be called for a job interview. So Mm -hmm. will she even benefit from raising the minimum wage if she can't even get a job? And if the author does get a job and saves up to buy a house, will she benefit equally if the fact that she lives in a black neighborhood means that her house will be worth far less? Will she benefit equally when she's more likely to get higher mortgage rates from her bank or predatory loans that will skyrocket in cost after a few years, causing her to foreclose and lose her home and her credit and her equity because of the color of her skin? And if she does get a decent job, but her son is locked up in jail as one in three black men are predicted to be, so Mm -hmm. she's now raising her grandkids on her meager salary, will stronger unions really raise her out of poverty. Mm -hmm. So I bring this up because a lot of people, it seems when they start to talk about race, they say things like this. Well, it's not about race. It's about class, right? So having this information and understanding the difference, I think is really helpful. So she says, racism exists in America to exclude people of color from opportunity and progress so that there is more profit for others deemed superior. This profit itself is the greater promise for non-racialized people. The promise is this, you will get more because they exist to get less. That promise is durable, and unless attacked directly, it will outlive any attempts to address class as a whole. This promise, you will get more because they exist to get less, is woven throughout our entire society. Our politics, our education system, our infrastructure, anywhere there is a finite amount of power, influence, visibility, wealth, or opportunity. Anywhere in which someone might miss out. Anywhere, there might not be enough. There, the lure of that promise sustains racism. Mm -hmm. So here are the basic rules to determine if something is about race, something you're talking about, witnessing, etc. Number one, it is about race if a person of color thinks it is about race. Thank you. Thank you. So you may say, but I've never experienced that. I've never seen it. But remember, we do not have the same experiences if we are white as we do if we are people of color. And we are made up of our collective experiences that we have throughout our histories. So it's true. And I, I know sometimes it is easy as a white person to hear about an experience and immediately think, well, I've also had that experience and it wasn't about race, but that is not, that's precisely the point. (laughs) Right. And, and, you know, we've mentioned on here, I grew up pretty poor and my experience as a poor white girl is not the same as someone who was a poor black girl. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, And that's what we talk about intersectionality. There are all these different um, layers of existence, oppression, life, aesthetic, all working together to create different experiences, right? So number one, it's about race if a person of color thinks it's about race. Number two, it is about race if it disproportionately or differently affects people of color. Mm -hmm. Number three, it is about race if it fits into a broader pattern of events that disproportionately or differently affect people of color. Mm. This is in the chapter, 
what is racism, right? So let's define it because I think we can get into trouble when we have different definitions of what racism is. So Igioma says that this is a common definition of racism. Racism is any prejudice against someone because of their race. Would you agree with that? Well, I agree that that's probably the first blush of what people think racism is. It's what we were taught what racism is. Right. So here, she suggests we use the following definition if our goal is to reduce the systemic harm done to people of color by racism in America. Racism is any prejudice against someone because of their race when those views are reinforced by systems of power. Yeah. And I love the difference of this definition. Yeah, it makes a, a broader and a big and more sense. And it, it allows for this, well, I didn't have that experience. It's like, well, yeah. A hundred percent. And you can immediately see why arguments of, quote, reverse racism against white people do not stand up to that definition at all. That's right. Is there racism against white people? Sure. Are they called slurs? Sure. Does it systemically affect and oppress their lives in a negative way? Absolutely not. Not. Yeah. Yep. So when we're calling it that way, it's, it's not, there's not reverse racism. So she says, we have to remember that racism was designed to support an economic and social system for those at the very top. Mm -hmm. Racism was never motivated by the hatred of people of color, and the goal was never in and of itself simply the subjugation of people of color. The ultimate goal of racism was the profit and comfort of the white race, specifically of rich white men. The oppression of people of color was an easy way to get this wealth and power, and racism was a good way to justify that, right? To justify the treatment of enslaved people that made rich white people and cotton plantation owners very Mm -hmm. wealthy. Mm -hmm. So this is not about sentiment beyond the ways in which our sentiment is manipulated to maintain an unjust system of power and our emotions, ignorance, fear, and hate have been easily manipulated to feed the system of white supremacy. And we have to address all of this, our emotions, our ignorance, our fear, and our hate. But we cannot ignore the system that takes all of that, magnifies it, and uses it to crush the lives and liberty of people of color to enrich the most privileged of white society. She acknowledges that while you may understand this while reading it, it does little to move forward conversations with people who are entrenched in their their own definitions of racism that don't include systems of power. So mm-hmm. how do you move forward in this discussion of race where accusations of reverse racism and racism against whites start flying? You punch him in the face. That is uh, the number one go-to move for me, I gotta <laughs> say. <laughs> oh, boy. So first, remember that this is almost always a defensive reaction to feelings of fear, guilt, or confusion. This is an attempt either to move the conversation to a place where the person you are attempting to talk to is more comfortable or to end the conversation completely. Consider restating your intention in engaging in this conversation and to ask the person you are talking to to confirm what they are talking about. You could say... I am talking about issues of systemic racism, which is measurably impacting the health, wealth, and safety of millions of people of color. What are you talking about right now? Often, if they will just repeat themselves or claim that you are a hypocrite if you will not shift the conversation instead to the grievances against them that they just decided to bring up. If this happens, it is pretty obvious that you aren't actually having a conversation and it is probably best to just walk away and maybe try again later if productive conversation is actually your goal. But if somebody does want a productive conversation and genuinely believes that being called cracker is the same thing as being called the N-word and feels angry and invalidated by the insistence that both do not meet your definition of racism, they will say so. And this is an educational opportunity. It is a great moment to let that person know that you do hear them and that your experiences do not erase theirs. Because while their experience is valid, it is a different experience. A response that she used is, What was said to you wasn't okay and should be addressed. But we are talking about two different things. 
Being called cracker hurts, may even be humiliating, but after those feelings fade, what measurable impact will it have on your life, on your ability to walk the streets safely, on your ability to get a job? How often has the word cracker been used to deny you services? What measurable impact has this word had on the lives of white Americans in general? In all honesty, from my personal experience, she says, you are not likely to get far in that conversation, not right away, but it gives people something to think about. Even if these conversations seem fruitless at first, they can plant a seed to greater understanding. If you want a further understanding of systemic racism even more among the people you interact with, you can try to link the systemic effects of racism whenever you talk about it. Instead of posting on Facebook, this teacher shouted a racial slur at a Hispanic kid and should be fired. You can say all that and then add, this behavior is linked to the increased suspension, detention, and expulsion of Hispanic youth in our schools and sets an example of behavior for the children witnessing this teacher's racism that will influence the way these children are treated by their peers and treated as adults. That's fascinating. Isn't that amazing? If you hear someone at the water cooler say, black people are always late, you can definitely say, hey, that's racist. And also add, and it contributes to false beliefs about black workers that keeps them from even being interviewed for jobs, while white workers can be late or on time, but will always be judged individually with no risk of damaging job prospects for other white people seeking employment. This also makes it less likely that someone will brush you off and say, hey, it's not that big of a deal. Don't be so sensitive. I have a question for you whenever, whenever sure, I can. Go for it. Yeah. This we typically ask at the end of the book, but I don't know if she mentions it in the beginning. Who is this book for? So it's for everybody. She okay. toggles back and forth between speaking to, hey, if you are white and trying to have this conversation, here's what to do. Mm-hmm. If you're a person of color and trying to have this conversation, here's what to do. Okay. For the most part, If I had to split it up in like a percentage, I would say it's probably like 65 or 70% focused at white people trying to have these conversations and then like 35 or 30% focused on people of color because people of color by necessity have to navigate this stuff all the time. Yeah. They are in the same way that Lisa, you and I as, as, cisgender women, we navigate sexism all the time. Like we can speak to that pretty eloquently, at least through our experiences. And we don't necessarily need to read a whole book on it. Right. But there are books that are so helpful and more deeply understanding and giving us language for how to have some of those conversations that we already feel. Right. Okay. That's really helpful because I I was unclear from the top if this was primarily directed towards white people, like say white fragility was in specific. Um, although she was like, it was be helpful. <clears throat> yeah. And she, I don't remember her saying like, Hey, this is for white people. She is saying, Hey, I am guessing that if you have picked up this book, you want to have more productive conversations about race. And maybe you've had some really tough conversations about race. Right. And so I mean, I guess in parentheses, it's with white people. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. But she definitely does toggle back and forth and say, and if you're a person of color, know this. Okay, great. Yeah. So it's, it's, so it's how to talk about race with white people for white people and black and people of color and indigenous. It's how to have better conversations about race for white people so that you minimize the damage and maximize the benefit. With a few, with several asides to people of color saying, and just remember, I love you know, it. but, okay. but also, yeah, but it's also like, she says later in the book, talk about racism within your own race. These do not always have to be, uh, two different races sitting across from each other trying to talk about this stuff. Like we should be having conversations with our white counterparts. People of color should should talk about race and racism with their friends, because then you can feel the therapeutic effects of talking about it in a safe space where everybody gets it. Right. So it's really about getting different things 
out of it. But I, yeah, I would say majority, this is a book aimed at white people because let's be real. We are the ones having difficulty having these conversations and we need more help. So tying racism to its systemic effects will help people see the difference between systemic racism and anti-white bigotry. And the more practice you get with tying individual racism with the system that gives it power, the more you will be able to see all the ways in which you can make a difference. Yes, you can demand that the teacher shouting racial slurs at Hispanic kids should be fired, but you can also ask what the suspension rate is for Hispanic kids at that school. Ask how many teachers of color they have on staff and ask that their policies be reviewed and reformed. Yes, you can definitely report your racist coworker to HR, but you can also ask your company management what processes they have in place to minimize racial bias in their hiring process. You can ask for more diversity in management and cultural sensitivity training for staff. When we look at racism as a system, it becomes much larger and more complicated than it seemed before. But there is also more opportunity to address the various parts of it. And that's what the rest of this book attempts to at least begin to do. So let's get started. <laughs> I just feel like this is such a nice compliment to what we covered a couple week a couple weeks ago. I guess what well, it came out a couple weeks ago with white fragility that's like Robin D'Angelo is really trying to help white people understand why they can't talk about it and like why their defenses kick in and why they they immediately go to defending their character instead of having an educational opportunity. And this author is really helping us once we've been able to kind of crack that open and stay present. This author is giving us actual like tips and tools in the moment to stay focused on race. Oh, yeah. It's like a how-to, and we're about to get into the actual step-by-steps of how to have these conversations, which is, you're right, it's like a perfect, they're a perfect complement to each other, especially for white people. Yeah. So this chapter is called, What If I Talk About Race Wrong?, which is, I know, a fear that a lot of my friends and I have, right? Like, we don't want to do it wrong, so we're afraid to even start. Mm -hmm. So she says, we have a real problem of racial inequity and injustice in our society, and we cannot wish it away. We have to tackle this problem with real action, and we will not know what needs to be done if we do not talk about it. So let's all get a little uncomfortable. First, she says, you're going to screw this up royally more than once. Yeah. It's going to happen and you should have these conversations anyway. So now that I've thoroughly bummed you out, let's talk about what you can do to lessen the damage you do and <laughs> maximize the benefit to all involved. Like that's what I'm saying. I, I know I'm like talking about a lot of serious topics, but she's really funny throughout the book. Well, and I think it's helpful because that is, you know, as I'm also learning too, that perfectionism, um, especially in the context of an organization, but individually as well, is a system of white supremacy. It's a it's a symptom and a system of, of white supremacy. So, mm-hmm, so that desire to do it right or not do it at all is what helps keep it, <laughs> helps oh keep it in God. place. Oh so, my God. You just yeah. So I just, mind. you know, we wouldn't, exp- it's, you know, this is a skill that we don't have. We don't have any tolerance for talking about it. We don't have any tools for talking about it. We were never given the awareness or the wherewithal in our schooling, most of us. So, um, you know, we, we simply don't have the tools. So we are going to fuck it up. You know, I wouldn't expect to pick up an oboe and do it perfectly. I wouldn't oh, even yeah. know which end is which. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Well, you'd figure it out pretty quickly. But... I mean, I hope I would, but do you know what I'm saying? So I, I love us giving ourselves that permission to just I be clumsy too. at it. And she also says, I think she says it later on, but she's like, we're not good at having these conversations. If we were good at this, I wouldn't have felt the need to write this book. Yeah. Right. So like, just keep in mind, like, you know, think of learning to walk. Like we're going to stumble a million times, but eventually we're going to be able to stroll around and feel pretty good about it. I just really want the United States to bring that, like, we're number one at talking about race problems in our country. (laughs) I'm going to master this. I'm the best at tackling systemic racism with respect and dignity. (laughs) (laughs) She says, 
She says, so now that I've thoroughly bummed you out, let's talk about what you can do to lessen the damage you do and maximize the benefit to all involved. Yes. Here are some tips that will increase your chance of conversation success or at least decrease your chance of conversation disaster. Number one, state your intentions. Do you know why you are having this particular conversation? Do you know why this matters to you? Is there something in particular you are trying to communicate or understand? Figure it out before moving forward and then state what your intentions are so that the people you are talking with can determine if this is a conversation they are willing to join. Mm. Often, these attempts at conversation fail because two people are entering with two very incompatible agendas and proceed to have two very different conversations, and that doesn't become clear until it blows up in anger and frustration. Number two. Remember what your top priority in the conversation is and don't let your emotions override that. If your top priority is understanding racism better or addressing an incident involving race or righting a wrong caused by racism, don't let the top priority suddenly become avenging your wounded pride if the conversation has you feeling defensive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is we all have to get better at going... Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see that. I'm going to look at that and I'm going to try and do better. So remember your intention and remember your priority. State your intention. Literally state your intention and say like, here's what I'm hoping to get out of this conversation or like, I'm hoping to end racism around the country in this one conversation. I say, let's talk, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Number three. Do your research. If you are going to be talking about an issue you are not familiar with, a quick Google search will save everyone involved a lot of time and frustration. If terms or subjects come up that you are not familiar with, you can ask for some clarification if you are in person. But know that if you are a white person talking to a person of color, it is never their job to become your personal Google. If you are online and these topics or terms come up, you can Google these terms faster than it takes to hold up the entire conversation, begging people to explain things to you. Even if you are a person of color, making sure you understand the topic of conversation beyond your experience with it will give you confidence in your conversation and will help you get your point across. Okay. Yep. Number four. Don't make your anti-racism argument oppressive against other groups. When stressed, when tired, when angry, or when threatened, our worst selves can come out. Mm -hmm. It is fine to be angry. There is a lot about racism to be angry about, and it is fine to express that anger. But it is never okay to battle racism with sexism, transphobia, ableism, or other oppressive language or actions. Don't stoop to that level, and don't allow others to. We must be willing to fight oppression in all of its forms. Number five, when you start to feel defensive, stop and ask yourself why. If you are talking about race and you suddenly feel the need to defend yourself vigorously, stop and ask yourself, what is being threatened here? What am I thinking that this conversation says about me? And has my top priority shifted to preserving my ego? If you are too heated to ask yourself these questions, at least try to take a few minutes away to catch your breath and lower your heart rate so that you can. This is something that happens to people of all races, and not only can it stop us from hearing things that need to be said, it can stop us from saying what we really mean to say. Yeah, so I think that's so interesting. I really like that she's kind of setting just a general framework. Like, you could use this... I mean, aside from like the Googling terms and stuff, you could use this for any kind of conflict resolution. You're right. Although you're not going to resolve racism, but this idea of taking time if you're overheated, remembering what your intention is, is your ego getting triggered? Try to ask yourself why. Like, these are great. This is great for life. (laughs) You're right. You're so right. And it's, you know, this is in a sense always going to attempt to resolve a conflict or have better understanding around a conflict. And these are really charged interactions because as she says later, we're dealing with the very real emotion and hurt and pain of real people. Yeah. And so it's always going to be this really loaded conversation. And if it's not, you're probably not having the right conversation. Yeah. So number six, do not tone police. 
do not require that people make their discussions on the racial oppression they face comfortable for you. And this especially includes online, right? So Mm -hmm. people people sometimes will say like, hey, hey, there's no need to use caps or there's no need to get so heated. This is a knitting forum or whatever. Insert gentle craft here. And that that then switches the topic from the very real racial thing that needs to be addressed to the comfort of the person jumping in, right? Mm -hmm. It track switches. And that's not okay because remember, our feelings of comfort, especially as the privileged group, I'm talking to the white people from a white person, I am white. Mm -hmm. They always should come secondary to the goal of eliminating racism in that moment, better understanding what happened, learning, doing better. We're going to be uncomfortable and it is not our job to tell someone how they should feel about what's Mm -hmm. happened to them. Or how they should express their anger over the situation that we find ourselves in. Yeah. And by the way, something that I didn't have in my notes, but that she talks about in the book is you may come into a situation and see something that you think is small that someone's overreacting to. But she uses this analogy. If you walk down the street and you get punched in the arm once, you might be able to say, oh, that was an accident. They didn't mean to punch me in the arm. Like, I'm just going to go about my day. But if you are walking down the street and you get punched in the arm every 10 seconds by somebody else, you never know where it's going to come from. You don't know who it's going to come from. And it hurts every time. By the time you say step into work and a coworker punches you in the arm, you might go off mm-hmm. because you've been punched in the arm 30 times that day. Yeah. And then that coworker might go, whoa, I didn't mean to punch you in the arm. Don't be so sensitive. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you think they're being sensitive because you don't know what they've been through. And these moments pile onto each other. They're cumulative. Yeah. They're not easily forgettable. Yeah. See, she does such a good job of making things digestible. This is what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Number seven. If you are white, watch how many times you say I and me. Remember, systemic racism is about more than individuals and it is not about your personal feelings. If you find yourself frequently referring to your feelings and your viewpoint, chances are you are making this all about you. (laughs) Number eight. Ask yourself. Am I trying to be right or am I trying to do better? Conversations on racism should never be about winning. This battle is too important to be so simplified. You are in this to share and to learn. You are in this to do better and be better. You are not trying to score points and victory will rarely look like your opponent conceding defeat and vowing to never argue with you again. Because your opponent isn't a person It's the system of racism that often shows up in the words and actions of other people. And I loved that. Just remember, your opponent is the system, not the person in front of you. Number nine, do not force people of color into discussions of race. People of color live with racism each and every day with no say over when and how it impacts their lives. It is painful and exhausting. When people of color have the rare luxury to choose not to engage in additional dialogue about race, do not deny them that. Even if this discussion is really important to you, you never have a right to demand it. There will be other opportunities. These tips should help you have more productive conversations on race and racism. Look through the list and try to recognize where you have had trouble in the past and make a concerted effort to practice the tips where things have gone wrong. But even with all of your practice and the best of your intentions, there will be times where this all goes to shit. It is important to learn how to fail, to learn how to be wrong in a way that minimizes pain to you and others and maximizes what you can learn from the experience. Here are some tips on when your conversation on race has gone very wrong. One, throw a smoke bomb and disappear. Number two, punch the racist in the face. Number three, scream, don't call me Karen and run away. (laughs) My mom's name is Karen every time. Every time. Her name is Karen every time. Number one, 
Stop trying to jump back in when a conversation is beyond saving. Mm -hmm. Step away, take some time to calm down and ask yourself what, if anything, can be done to revisit that conversation later in a productive and healthy way. Number two, apologize. If you can see where you screwed up, got defensive or hurt someone, own up and say sorry and mean it. Number three, don't write your synopsis of this conversation as the time you got yelled at. Do not revise it in your mind so that instead of (laughs) an important conversation on race that didn't go well, it becomes that tragic time that you got yelled at for trying and felt bad. Number four, don't insist that people give you credit for your intentions. If you screwed up and hurt people, your good intentions won't lessen that hurt. Number five, don't beat yourself up. Yes, you should feel bad when you say or do something that hurts someone else. And it's natural to feel frustrated when you aren't communicating as effectively as you need to. But you also need to keep in mind that this happens a lot. If this were something that we were good at talking about, I certainly wouldn't have felt the need to write this book. Mm -hmm. Instead of drowning in guilt or ignoring your wrongdoing to escape guilt altogether, take some time to really think about what was said and what you could have done better. There's a good chance that the person you were talking to was trying very hard to let you know where you were going wrong. Even if you don't get the chance to make things right with the person you were talking to, you can use what you've learned to make sure you don't screw up that same way again with other people. You can and will do better if you learn from this experience. Number six, remember that it is worth the risk and commit to trying again. You have to keep trying because the alternative is your complacency and the continued oppression of people of color. No matter what, when you're having a conversation about racial oppression, you will not be the only one who is nervous or taking a risk. These conversations will always be hard because they will always be about the hurt and pain of real people. These conversations will always be emotional and loaded to various degrees. And if they are not, then you are likely not having the right conversation. As long as racism exists to ruin the lives of countless people of color, it should be something that upsets us. But it upsets us because it exists, not because we talk about it. And if you are white and you don't want to feel any of that pain by having these conversations, then you are asking people of color to continue to bear the entire burden of racism alone. Have these conversations, not just with people of other races, but with your own. If you're white, bring it into your life so that you can dismantle racism in the white spaces of your life that people of color can't even reach. People of color, talk to your people about race. Feel the therapeutic effects of honest and safe conversation about race. Examine and confront your internalized racism. Make space to heal and rejuvenate. These conversations will never be easy, but they will become easier. They will never be painless, but they can lessen future pain. They will never be risk-free, but they will be worth it. Finally, you can't just talk about race. Here are a list of actions you can take to dismantle racism piece by piece. Number one, vote local. Your vote will never have more power than in your local election where city and state officials have to work for your vote. Demand that anyone asking for your vote make racial justice a top priority. Number two, get in schools. Do you know what the racial achievement gap is in your school district? Find out and then ask your school board, principals, and teachers what they are doing to address it. Are your schools erasing the histories and accomplishments of people of color from their textbooks? Are they only learning about people of color in February? Let them know that an inclusive education that meets the needs of all students is a top priority for you, even if your child is not a child of color. And if you want to know more about that racial achievement gap, buy this book. There's a whole chapter on it, and it's amazing. Okay. Number three, bear witness. If you are a white person and you see a person of color stopped by police or being harassed in a store, bear witness and offer to help when it is safe to do so. Sometimes just the watchful presence of another white person will stop and make others consider their actions more carefully. Number four, speak up in your unions. They have a lot of power to protect disenfranchised people, but only if it's made a priority. Number five, support businesses owned by people of color. Economic suppression is one of the cornerstones of racial oppression. You can help preserve financial independence of people of color by working with and spending your money at their businesses. 
Number six, boycott banks that prey on people of color. Banks that sell bad loans to people of color should not get your business. Banks that hike up interest rates or discriminate against people of color should not get your business. If you make these despicable actions by banks more costly, they will stop doing them. And she says that when the 2008 financial crisis happened, a ton of racial practices uh, were exposed by banks. Number seven, give money to organizations working to fight racial oppression and support communities of color. Number eight, boycott businesses that exploit workers of color. Number nine, support music, film, television, books, and works of art by people of color. Ask your publishers, radio stations, producers, and businesses for more. Number 10, support increasing the minimum wage. Number 11, push your mayor and city council for police reform. Ask your mayor what they're doing to address racial bias. Do the officers wear body cams? What kind of civilian oversight is there when there's been a complaint of bias, discrimination, or abuse? Put pressure on your city government to address these issues and keep that pressure up. Otherwise, police unions will bully city government into keeping the status quo. Number 12, demand college diversity. Let your college know that diversity is a top priority for you if they want your tuition money. Number 13, support candidates of color. Help put people of color in positions of power. Support candidates that make diversity, inclusion, and racial justice a priority. So that is the briefest overview of So You Want to Talk About Race by Igioma Aluo. Good. Obviously, we cannot cover Thank you. We cannot cover every single thing in this book. And I'm telling you, believe me when I say I covered like two chapters and it's a 17 chapter book and it's fucking phenomenal. Yeah. So so good. I I can't wait. Yeah. So if you want to read it for yourself, it's available everywhere that you get books. I encourage you to maybe find an independent bookstore and maybe a Black-owned bookstore and support the author that way. You can also buy the book. Um, there's links in her website, which we'll put in show notes. Again, that's igiomaaluo.com. Yeah, and for our listeners, I know we often give prices based off of um, Amazon, but I would like to say that there I have been using lately bookshop.org. And it kind of sources through independent booksellers nationwide. And a portion of the proceeds go to support. Um, and they've donated something like 3 million, 4 million to independent booksellers nationwide. Amazing. So if that's interesting to you, I know we also previously, another listener had mentioned buying used books. Um, and yeah. so listen, there are lots of, lots of ways and voting with your dollar is super important. And right now, um, especially when COVID is still a pandemic and the United States has 4% of the world's population, but 20% of the deaths uh, worldwide from COVID, you know, and it's impacting our uh, Black, Indigenous, and people of color citizens. Way more disproportionate. Yes. You know, thinking about how to keep people who are working in Amazon warehouses and working in, you know, yeah. it's it, everything is terrible, but there are things that we can do. So, Misty. Great job. Yes, ma'am. Um, did you. this book need Good to be job, written? Ijeoma. I was just quoting her the whole time. Yes. This book needed to be written 10 million percent. Yes. Okay, great. And we already talked about who this book is for. Um, who is this book terrible for? Um, Let me see. Well, I want to add that this book is perfect for anyone who wants to shut down the trolls on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, but not really. I'll say it's perfect for anyone who wants to better understand the nuances of how to talk about these topics, including people of color, Mm -hmm. why they matter, and how to be a better ally. Like, do you not fully understand cultural appropriation? Buy the book. Mm -hmm. Do you not know how to respond when someone says, but people are racist against white people? Buy the book. But this book is probably not great for people who are wildly fragile at recognizing their own mistakes. Mm -hmm. But even then, they should still read the book. At some point when they're ready. That sounds good. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. What did the author get right? I think she did an outstanding job on this book. It was, like I said, it's even really funny in parts. Mm -hmm. And it's not, that's not something I expected when we were learning about so many serious topics. Mm -hmm. And I know we always ask, what did the author get wrong? But it is, it is hard to say what she got wrong because I'm not a person of color and mm-hmm. can't say like, oh, this doesn't work or, you know, sort of a thing. But I do think one thing to be noted, and I don't think this is right 
or wrong is just to your preference is it is a very straightforward, blunt, like your feelings do not matter as much as dismantling racism. Mm -hmm. So that is a tone that I, I appreciate the frankness of that tone and the honesty of that tone, but Mm -hmm. some people maybe will bristle against it a little bit. It might not be the best first book for somebody if they haven't even really kind of become aware of how they are privileged as white people. Yeah, they might not hear the message as much. Exactly. That's great. But something that I loved is she also examines her own racism Mm -hmm. and uses stories of her own missteps and talking about and dealing with race as examples. Oh, that's really helpful. Oh my God. Like she just shares so many stories of like, I thought I was being this progressive, educated, amazing woman, and I didn't realize that I'd left out an entire group of black people when I tried to do X, Y, Z. And I had to examine that. And so I really love that she self-examines and is like right there in the trenches with us. Yeah, it it kind of really doubles down on giving you permission by showing how she's stumbled. Oh, yeah. So she's saying like, I know these conversations are hard because I fucked them up a million times. And I'm a woman of color who writes about race. (laughs) (laughs) So what hope do you peons have? And I, I will say, by the way, as far as like putting things in practice from this book and how it affected me, I am currently down a deep, deep rabbit hole of unlearning my own prejudices and trying to unlearn, like identifying my own inherent implicit bias and whitewashed history that I learned in school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to relearn, you know, actual American history. It's like, for those of you who, um, have, haven't listened to this episode yet, a, Lisa and I did a bonus minisode on steps white people can take to show up for racial justice. And it's just a very beginning preliminary list. But I listened, I've been listening to two of the podcasts that Mm -hmm. Lisa, you recommended. And one is 1619 by the New York Times. It's actually very quick. It's like a six episode listen about the actual history of slavery in America, Yeah, which I just never knew. Um, I realized I just didn't have a full picture of it. And then Seen on Radio, season two is called On Seeing White. And it's all about how, when, and by whom whiteness was invented. Yeah. What it's used for, who it benefits, how we can approach it. Because whiteness is something that was made up, you guys. Um, yeah, race is, is a construct. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, so as f- I'm just trying to listen to all of this and keep in mind, oh, here's one one more thing I would be so remiss if I didn't say. If you're feeling as impassioned as I am about this and feeling like confident, okay, I definitely want to stand up really loud and proud the next time I see something racist at work. If you witness something, if a person of color says, don't worry about it, it's okay, mm-hmm. do not insist on standing up for them because we need to make sure as allies that we are doing so in a way that keeps them safe. Yeah. So if we were to continue to stand up to someone who's being very aggressive, it wouldn't necessarily put us in danger, but maybe later on would put them in danger. Yeah. So it's often like a really bad blowback for people who speak up, whether they are right. allies or actual people who have been victims to uh, racism. So yeah, that's kind of, I hope that right now when we are, are in the middle of this, that pe- white people are, are paying attention. Yeah. 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 But this book is filled with a million things like that. So buy the book. And Lisa, I do not have homework for you because you are so, so deeply concentrating your efforts on racial justice right now. I mean, I know you spent all day volunteering again for showing up for racial justice surge LA. And I know as soon as we get off this recording, you're going to do that too. (laughs) So instead I'm going to give homework to our listeners. I love it. Well, I also want to do it, whatever they're doing. I want to do it too. Oh, great. Well, you already are. So check 
I challenge everybody listening to pick one item from that action list, even if it's a very quick email to your child's principal about the racial education gap or just Mm. asking about some statistics or a quick text via uh, the app ResistBot to your senator. You can literally send a text while you're pissed. It's the easiest damn thing. It's the easiest thing in the world to ask what they're doing to address one of the racial issues you care about. Yeah. Make sure your vote, you're registered to vote and that your registration is current and hasn't been purged from the polls. All that, especially to vote local or vote vocal, as I like to do. Load vocal. I like to load vocally. Load. (laughs) (laughs) That got me so bad. Anyway, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you're still here, you're doing an amazing job. Yeah. And listen, if you are having conversations about race, we want to hear about them. If you've read this book and you want to, and you're putting into practice some of the things, tell us how it's going. We would love to, to connect with you. Every time that you reach out to us, we reach back and, you know, it may take a few days because it's just two of us. Way back. Oh no. Um, Listen, ask the listener who recently wrote in about her fancy candle purchase. Thank you so much, Samantha. And we both replied separately to her because we were so excited. We had a lot to say. <laughs> but with that, may your approaches and efforts to talk about and dismantle racist systemic structures and your perseverance in discomfort be abundant. abundant. Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less, was produced by Misty Stinnett, Lisa Linky, and Matt Sav. Our theme song was also written by Matt Sav. He's amazing. <laughs> do you want to get in touch? You do. Email us at gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And you know you can also find us on the social medias. Instagram at gohelpyourselfpodcast. Twitter at G-H-Y podcast, or check out our website, gohelpyourselfpodcast.com. And if you liked our podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes to help other people discover our show. It's really the least you can do. And why don't you tell all of your friends? Bye! Bye.